On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, college football's coming up this week. The NFL starts next week, and we'll be joined by a man who will be involved in both, Brian Greasy, who will get his college football season underway this week with the Auburn-Washington call, and then next week, do the color commentary work for the first Monday night football game of the season, Jets-Lions. In this podcast, we'll also be joined by Jason Robbins, the co-founder of DraftKings, who talks about all the changes with gambling becoming legalized. But first, my friend, Brian Greasy. Brian? Hey, what's up, man? This is my great honor. <laughs> We're talking all Michigan, right? <laughs> all Michigan, all the time. And you know, but I'll also say, I never would have thought back in the day, you were drafted in 1998. If you had said 20 years later, you'll be doing a podcast. Brian Greasy will be your guest. I never would have guessed that. <laughs> you never know where uh, the roads are going to lead, man. <laughs> because this is true. And I don't know if you know this, but you as a player, I covered the Broncos for 16 years out in Denver for the Rocky Mountain News and the Denver Post. And the Broncos drafted you in the third round in 1998. You would come off a season in which you had led our alma mater to the national championship, the only national championship the school has won in football. And so I was all excited to meet you. And I remember coming over and introducing myself, and you couldn't have been any less interested in talking to any members of the media at that point in, time <laughs> in your life. Come on. I was one of the, the easiest guys to deal with, Adam, <laughs> in your entire career. <laughs> and then, And then let me just take you through this a little bit. And then... I remember I worked so hard on a feature about the great charity that you started in Denver, Judy's House. And it was so important right. to me to do a great job on that piece. And you were so thorny to deal with with the media that it was like a big accomplishment to get you to sit down to give me a few minutes of quotes about this unbelievable charity work that you had done in the city. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, vaguely I remember that. I, I uh, you know, I was uh, honestly, Adam. There was a lot of a lot of the way that I that I treated the media and interacted with the media was a direct result of some of the issues that I really never dealt with uh, growing up, having lost my mom when I was young, Judy. Yeah. And uh, I didn't really have anywhere that I could talk to anybody about what I was going through. Um, and so, you know, you get in that situation, you become an island. In a lot of ways, you don't ask for help and you build walls up around your personality. Um, and so what, what I think a lot of people, including you, experienced uh, when I was put in that fishbowl following John Elway was a, was a young man that, that really didn't have the tools and resources to deal with adversity uh, early in his life and learn to just kind of shut people out. Um, and it really wasn't until I started Judy's house that I began to deal with some of those personality traits. And, um, and so now I'm in the media, man, I'm just, you know, I'm, and I'm, uh, one of you and, uh, and I've, and I've, I've learned to, uh, to tell my story and to really process my grief. And I've, I've come out on the other end and, and become a much different person. How did you learn to process your grief? You know, I, I didn't, uh, really begin to deal with, um, with kind of the, the pain that, that I went through in losing my mom until I found a way to make meaning of her loss in my life. Um, and thankfully, uh, you know, the Broncos was a great platform. Being an NFL quarterback was a great platform to jumpstart that. 
Um, but it was really hard work and it, and it wasn't just, you know, starting a charity. It was, you know, putting in the sweat equity and, and being able to get more comfortable telling my story and, and the hard times that I went through, uh, like a lot of NFL players, you know, have to deal with a number of different, um, you know, hurdles and barriers in their life and, and their upbringing. And it just so happened for me, it was losing my mom when I was young. And, um, and it wasn't until I, I started to meet other kids that were going through the same thing and I could, and I could help them and I could give them a way to deal with that grief in the moment and, uh, and to take a tragedy in a child's life and potentially help them to make meaning of their loss. Like I was trying to do with my loss. And that, when you multiply that Adam by, you know, 10, 20, hundred, a thousand kids, all of a sudden that becomes really powerful. And how many kids has Judy house now helped in the Denver area and beyond. So after 16 years of, of doing the work, uh, we have served now 10,000 children and their parents uh, through our history. And, uh, you know, my wife, Brooke, uh, is the real all-star uh, in this scenario. She's a licensed clinical psychologist, and she's developed the curriculum. She really dealt with a lot of uh, childhood trauma in her, uh, in her education. Uh, she got her Ph.D. at CU, and that's kind of how we met. And uh, so between the two of us and our staff now, we've got 34 full-time staff. Uh, we are serving 1,500 uh, children and, and their caregivers every year now. Uh, we run groups in 50 different schools around Metro Denver uh, and, uh, and at Judy's house, and we're doing training. We're doing research on the, on the needs of, of bereaved children and what, what happens if we don't help these kids with respect to depression, anxiety. Um, teen suicide is a huge issue. Um, we could talk a lot about this, Adam. It's, it's something that you know I'm very passionate about, yeah. but mental health and, um, and our youth is, is critical. And what Judy's House has become is not a charity, but more of a critical public health service. And, and I'm really excited about that. Well, I remember when you met Brooke, and I remember Brooke coming into your life from the little bit that I knew you from the distance that I was from you. But I remember her showing up at training camp in Greeley, Colorado. And I remember hearing about her background. I remember thinking, I'll bet that's somebody that would really appeal to him. And she was a beautiful woman. And good for you that the two of you have joined forces to do all the great work that you have. And that, honestly, was the other part to this that I was going to tell you. When I covered you as a player, there was nobody that was thornier or more challenging to deal with than you. And there's also nobody that I've ever observed over time who went on to do more good work, more great things than you have from Judy's house to me watching you at Michigan at the Mott fundraisers for the Children's Hospital mm-hmm. to watch the way that you interacted with kids and then even to get the chance to visit with you then, I said to myself, there's somebody that has made more progress than I've ever seen in a person and I salute the man that you've become. And I'm sure you were that way then. I just didn't know you like that back then. Yeah, you know, I was, I was, like I said, I just, I, I hadn't dealt with, um, with what, you know, I needed to deal with. And that's, I think that's true for, for a lot of us, right? And it could be any yeah. number of things, um, in our relationships and in our addictions, uh, or in the way we treat people, um, you know, our jobs and, and, and our resilience and the way we get up off the mat if we get knocked down. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of challenges in life. And I, you know, I didn't deal with mine. 
um, in a way that that was uh, efficient or nor effective early in my life, and uh, and so that's what I'm trying to prevent, you know, through through Judy Souse is I don't want kids to get off track developmentally if they're if it if it's not uh, if they don't have to and give them the tools um, to get through it uh, and and allow them to meet other kids going through the same thing so that you know the next. Brian Greasy, that comes along, isn't so prickly, you know, to Adam Schefter in his rookie year. <laughs> well, and you are. So here's my question. You've been this ESPN college football analyst since 2009. You recently signed a new extension with the company, and good for you and good for the company. Congratulations there. You're broadcasting Broncos preseason games this year with my friend Steve Levy, who went to my high school, or I went to his high school. Yeah. And now you're doing Monday Night Football, Jets-Lions in week one, and you talked about how passionate you are about Judy's house. How do you find time to do all this? Yeah, it's, you know, and I've got the, the, the main priority, Adam, is I've got two, two kids at home, too. Yeah. You know, I've got a nine-year-old boy and a 12-year-old girl that, uh, that are doing great. And, um, you know, they're, they're definitely the priority. But, you know, I... Um, you know, when I when I retired in 2008, uh, I got a call from from Gary Kubiak. He was the coach at, at the Houston Texans, and he was interested. And he said, "Listen, you know, are you interested in coaching, coming down here and, and coaching quarterbacks?" And um, and I thought about it for maybe 15 minutes, and I, I called him back and I said, "Coop, uh, you know, I, I love you, and I would love to." you know, get into coaching. But, um, I think that, uh, my calling is, is Judy's house wow. and, um, and I'm going to impact the world in, in, in more ways uh, through that than I will through coaching. And I just kind of fell into the broadcasting thing, Adam, ESPN called me, I think because my dad had done it for so long and they said, we should give this guy a whirl and see if he's anything half as good as his dad. Um, and so I went and I said, well, I'll try this out. It's a good way for me to stay connected to the game uh, and maybe it'll it'll continue to, to provide a platform for me to do the charitable things that I want to do. Hmm. And uh, so I tried it out, and it turned out it was a kick, man. It was awesome. I, I really <laughs> enjoyed it. Uh, it was the right amount of touch points with football. Uh, I didn't want to be a you know, 24-7, 365 football guy. It's just not who I am. It's not how, I was, how I'm made up. Uh, but it is a nice four-month, kind of uh, exercise for my brain to put myself back in those positions as a quarterback uh, on a team and a leader. Um, I really enjoy that. And then, you know, the other eight months, I'm, I'm using a completely different part of my brain, uh, running a nonprofit, you know, trying to affect policy. Uh, we're trying to build a new building. So I'm, I'm working on land deals and real estate. And so um, I really enjoy the diversity of, of the things that I'm doing right now, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't give either of them up. So the broadcasting allows you to do all these other things that you're so passionate about. I, I didn't realize or think about it like that because in my job, it's year-round. It's round the clock. It never stops, yep. and, and that would be – that is not something that a lot of people would enjoy. It, sometimes I don't enjoy that. <laughs> it never lets up. But I don't want to have five cell phones. No, <laughs> no. But but you, unlike me, get to have the balance in your life that I sometimes lack, which is kind of a neat little thing. And I hadn't thought about the fact that broadcasting gives you that type of flexibility. You mentioned your dad. What did you learn from him as a broadcaster? Oh my gosh, uh, so so much. I mean, not not just my dad, but I. You have to understand, I grew up, you know, uh, as a runner getting hot dogs. 
at the L.A. Coliseum when SC is playing Notre Dame for my dad and Keith Jackson. Wow. I mean, I I mean, I was so so I didn't know how lucky I was, you know, uh, in those days. Um, And so back then, you know, for you to have a press pass, you had to do something. You had so I had to be a runner. I had to work. I went down to the sidelines and I came back up and I would go get lunches and I would do I would I was working. Um, but I learned so much from, uh, from my dad with respect to, and, and from Keith with respect to how you respect the game, uh, how you respect the individual players on the field. Um, you know, I think, uh, unfortunately now in, in broadcasting, we have a lot of broadcasters that are interested in showing people how much information they can portray through a game or how much, how much they know about the game. Um, and it's and it's become a little bit too much about the broadcasters and not enough about the individual players on the field. Um, and I learned that from Keith Jackson, who said the game's not about you. Um, it's about you respecting the game. It's about you taking the viewer inside of the game. Um, but let it breathe. And and there's pictures on the screen for a reason. We're not doing radio. Um, you don't have to talk all the time. And I think that was that was the most important thing I learned from from Keith and my dad about how you respect the game, an economy of words. You know, Keith was one of the best uh, at that, right? Like oh, yeah. Desmond Howard's return for a touchdown, the Heisman pose. Keith Jackson said five words, you know, wow. in the whole call. I mean, it, and it's it's kind of like you know when Hemingway writes the Old Man in the Sea. It's a very thin book, and he went back over and over and over. Uh, looking at what words he could take out because he wanted an economy of words and every word had its impact. So uh, those are just some of the things that I still kind of write down on my board when I go to call a game that I learned from Keith and my dad. Boy, you know, I'm a Michigan fan, and I saw that play from Desmond Howard, and I didn't even realize that Keith Jackson actually called it, and you know not only that he called it, but what the call was and that it was five words. So have you studied any of these tapes? You know, I just remember that. I mean, I've seen that replay so many times um, that I just that it's just ingrained in my head. You know, I, I think Desmond catches the ball and, and then he makes one one cut and then and then Keith says, "One man, hello Heisman." One man, goodbye. Hello Heisman. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just you know those things stick stick in my head. Um, I don't I don't study you know broadcasters uh, anymore. I just kind of those guys are are and I grew up you know Dick Enberg and and Don Crickey. You know I remember watching all the AFC games. I was a Miami yeah. Dolphins fan, and I really loved those two guys together. Um, but I I don't uh, I don't study you know broadcasters anymore. Is there one that you have that you like in particular though, even though you're not studying them? Uh, current broadcasters. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Chris Collinsworth does a great job. I mean, I, I really enjoy, um, the way that he looks at the game. Um, you know, there are certain times where, you know, you're, you're paid to give your opinion on something and it doesn't necessarily have to be a well-liked opinion. Um, in a lot of cases it's, it's, it's better received if it's not. Um, but he's not, he's not constantly uh, barraging you with, you know, Double A gap pressures and four week blitzes and diagramming everything. I, I don't think that suits the fan either. Um, those things I think are, are are really impactful as a part of a of a bigger conversation, so where people can see it visually. 
Um, but but I think that Chris, uh, in my mind, is is the tops in our business uh, right now. We'll be back in a moment with more of my conversation with Brian Greasy. But first, I want to tell you about Dollar Shave Club. No matter what you do in the bathroom to get ready, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. They have amazing shower stuff, hairstyling products, toothbrushes and toothpaste, and of course, razors and shave supplies. I recently received more of their fantastic razors, and I count on them to help me get ready every morning. That's how I get ready, but you're not me. You have your own way to get ready. You might shave your whole body to get ready for a bike race. Dollar Shave Club's executive razor and shave butter can help. You might do your hair to get ready for your soccer match. Boogies by DSC can help you get your style right. The thing is, no matter what you do to get ready, DSC has everything you need. And right now, you can get ready with an amazing deal on any one of their starter sets. I recommend the Daily Essential Starter Set because I love the Amber Lavender Body Cleanser, but you can't go wrong with any of them. Head over to dollarshaveclub.com slash AS to pick your own DSC starter set for just $5. After your starter set, product ship at regular price. And make sure you check out their new video too. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash AS. dollarshaveclub.com slash AS. I want to take you through a little bit of your career if you don't mind because what a career it is and what a life you've led. I mean, you're the son of a Hall of Fame quarterback. How many people could say that, right? You're getting hot dogs for Bob Greasy and Keith Jackson once your dad transitions from playing quarterback from the Dolphins to becoming the great broadcaster, game analyst that he was. You went to Michigan, our great school, and you helped lead the Wolverines to the 1997 national title. Question for you, what kind of potential did you see from Tom Brady when he was your backup at Michigan over 20 years ago? <laughs> well, when I first met Tommy, he had uh, you know, long hair down to his shoulders, <laughs> and he had, he had just come from California, and, uh, and you know, we, we all, all of us in the locker room thought that he was going to be this surfer dude, you know, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and he, you know, he had four older sisters, and, uh, you know, he came from a great family, went to Sarah High School out there. We thought he was going to be this chill, laid-back kind of guy um, in the locker room. And it turns out he was completely the opposite. I mean, he came in with the work ethic that you see today. And, and despite the fact that, you know, there, was, there were three or four guys in front of him when he came in as a freshman, including Scott Dreisbach, who was one year ahead of him, he was the number one you know, recruit at the quarterback position in the country the year before. Um, Tommy just came in and he was methodical. And uh, I remember we would go through a whole practice uh, my senior year, uh, that that national championship year, and Tommy wouldn't get a whole lot of reps because he just didn't get a whole lot of reps. And he would take the script, he and Scott Leffler, and they would they would run through the entire practice. Uh, together, the two of them, and Tommy would try, you know, grab a couple of freshman receivers, and they would go through every play and every adjustment, every blitz, and they'd be out there for an hour after everybody else was gone off the field. And I had gone in and taken a shower and done a couple of interviews, and I'm leaving, and uh, there's Tommy out on the field running through the whole wow. script. So there was no question in anybody's mind, I don't think, uh, pretty early on that Tommy was going to be a success. But you didn't know that he was going to be this much of a success. Nobody did. No, that. no, <laughs> no. Nobody knew that. Nobody yeah. knew that. Um, 
you know, because Tommy did have the physical limitations, you know, that everybody looked at when he came out. And the reason why he was a six-round draft pick, nobody could get past that. Um, but I knew mentally and, and the mental toughness and the heart that, that there was nobody that was going to outwork him. So now you go to Denver in your rookie year, you're backing up a Hall of Fame quarterback, John Elway. What was that like to back up John in Denver, Brian? Uh, and to and to deal with Adam Schefter's of the world. <laughs> and you know, to deal with Adam Schefter's of the world. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the pain in the ass that I was. <laughs> you know, that the first year, as you know, man, the first year was a whirlwind. Um, you know, they had won the, the uh, Super Bowl in 97, beat the Packers, uh, and then I come in as a rookie, and, and it's John Elway on the roster and Bubby Brister on the roster and, and me. <laughs> and um, and it was uh, we, we started the year 13-0. and So I'd gone 12-0 and at Michigan the year prior, and now 13-0 and to start uh, the NFL season with the Broncos. <laughs> oh, 25 and 25-0, man. I'm like, we, I'm never going to lose. Only, only Bob Greasy had done things like that. Only Bob Greasy <laughs> had done that for the 72 Dolphins. <laughs> then we go to New York and play the Giants uh, in week 14, and we get beat on a Hail Mary, uh, fittingly, by Amani Toomer, right, my, my yeah. Michigan teammate from, from the year before. So, uh, But it was, a, it was an unbelievable start. Uh, and then John retires after the Super Bowl win over Atlanta in Miami. And, um, and you know, then it, then it all becomes real. You know, it, it fast-forwards and – um, okay, he's done, and the legacy is cemented. Back to back Super Bowls on your way out and off to the sunset, and uh, and then reality hits. Okay, who's next? And uh, that's when it started for me to be to be real. Hmm. And you and your father—I don't know if you realize this—are the only father-son quarterback combination in NFL history to both win Super Bowls. Were you aware of that? Yeah, somebody had mentioned that uh, that before. I don't I don't put much stock in it. One of us one of us took a snap in the Super Bowl and one didn't. You can figure out which. <laughs> yeah, but you still got to win one, right? Although I would have loved the opportunity in in, in the Super Bowl with the Bears in 2006 against Peyton. Um, felt like if I would have had an opportunity there, it might have might have turned out different. How do you think the game is different from the time you played it to now, Brian? Uh, you know, everything is different. Um, you know, the way, the way practices happen are different. The way training camp happens different. Um, the protection, uh, and the safety of the players certainly is different. And even more so this year, as we've seen, um, there's just more of an emphasis on that. Um, I do think that the, the level of play, especially with offensive linemen has changed not to get too far down in the weeds, but you know, the college game has changed so much, more up-tempo, spread the field horizontally, um, that, that offensive linemen in college are not asked to do what they typically would need to be able to do at the NFL level. So I think the level of play uh, on the offensive line has changed. I think that's what I see most uh, at the NFL, different than when I was playing, when you had guys that came off the line of scrimmage and, you know, the Tony Jones and the Mark Schlereth and guys that I played with uh, that, that could just come off the ball and run the ball. And that's why Terrell Davis has 2,000 yards. Um, I think that's, to me, probably the biggest part of, of the game that has changed outside of just the safety and, and the amount of hitting in practice. Week one, you will be doing the Lions and the Jets. 
And the second game that we'll have on ESPN that night is the Raiders and the Rams, in which we'll be debuting our new Monday night football team. And I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. But first, I want to say to you, what area of Sam Darnold's game will need the biggest adjustment as he transitions to the NFL? Protecting the football. I mean, that, that, that's the number one thing. In the NFL, uh, if you turn the football over, uh, you, you don't play, and the coach gets fired. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, if, if Sam Darnold has the, the same kind of a, a carefree attitude um, that he had at, at SC, uh, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. So, I, and I think, I think he will be better. I think he'll be more cognizant of that. But you don't want to coach the playmaker out of the player either because um, one of his biggest assets is extending plays and the confidence to make throws on the run in tight windows. Um, so that's going to be an adjustment. Um, certainly he's a talented kid uh, with the right head on his shoulders. I thought of all four of the, of the um, quarterbacks drafted in the first round that he had the, the best mental makeup um, to play early on. Um, now he's not going to have the best supporting cast around him. Um, you know, the offensive line has been kind of a work in progress. Robbie Anderson's a good playmaker on the outside, but uh, outside of that, I don't know that they have a real playmaker, uh, game-breaker at the receiver spot. So um, it's going to uh, be an adjustment for him, um, but uh, I think he should be up for the challenge. I see you've been studying your Jets-Lions notes already. So how much of an adjustment is it you to have to do this one Monday night football game at the NFL level? Well, you said my, my opening game will be that. My opening game is actually the Auburn Tigers and Washington Huskies <laughs> from, uh, from Atlanta. <laughs> well, there the you week go. before. <laughs> Might I mention that, you know, top, two top ten teams in college football, you know, squaring off. So that should be fun. Uh, that'll be fun. You know, I, um, I've always wanted to do uh, NFL football. Uh, I, the game uh, is really interesting to me. Um, college the advantage of college is you have so much pageantry and tradition, yeah. uh, the unknown of what 18 to 22 year old kids are going to do. Um, but the advantage of the NFL game is in a lot of ways, it's, it's more familiar to me, the way that I played the game uh, centered around the quarterback and decision-making and, and the chess pieces. College is more up-tempo and, and, and dependent on athletes making plays in space. So I want to, I'm going to enjoy kind of, changing gears and doing this Jets-Lions game week one. Brian, your college football broadcast team is Todd McShay on the sidelines. What will it be like? What are fans going to get when they see Booger McFarlane doing the Todd McShay role on the Monday Night Football team? <laughs> well, it's definitely going to be very colorful from, from <laughs> Booger. You know, I, I played with Booger in Tampa uh, for a couple of years. Uh, got to know him, you know, in the locker room where, as you know, walking through locker rooms, that's where you really get to know the personalities of these guys. Yeah. Uh, so Booger is going to bring a lot of personality. Uh, you know, I saw I, we did a practice game. Uh, Beth Mowens uh, and I did a practice game, Jets and Redskins, last week um, down in D.C. And I, for the first time, I saw Booger's little cart, his little mobile on the sideline. <laughs> With with everything set up, his monitors and his you know his mics and everything, and I I finally said to Burke, I said, you know that thing's pretty pretty big, but um, you're going to block a lot of views of fans, you know, of, of the game. You better be ready for a stray beer bottle or two coming out of the stand. <laughs> He's got to wear a helmet, <laughs> right? It's the 2018 in stadium version of the Madden Cruiser, I guess, for lack of a better yeah. way of saying it. It may have cost as much too, you know. They, they custom fit it to Boog, so 
uh, he's gonna he's gonna do great. I'm I'm excited to uh, you know I worked with Joe Tess quite a bit in college football, uh, and I'm excited to see what Jason Witten can bring. Um, you know I know that that's it's a big stage for him, uh, so that crew should have a, a ton of fun. And what a great opener with Chucky and and um, and with Sean McVay and the Rams. Good coaches there. You mentioned at the start of this podcast that we would talk some Michigan football, so I figured we'd end up with a little bit of Michigan football. I want to tell you, I've made a couple of trips there in recent months. And I will say that the the staff thinks that there's more speed on defense than they've ever had. They think Shea Patterson, I laughed this week when he was named the starting quarterback because he was always going to be the starting quarterback in my mind based on everything <laughs> I've heard. And they have a young guy there, Brian. I'm going to put on your radar right now. A freshman quarterback by the name of Joe Milton. Yeah. 6'5 and a quarter, 230, 240, runs a 4'5", 40, throws the football 80 yards, and... The way it sounded to me is he could one day compete to be a number one overall pick in the NFL. Have you known anything about Joe Milton at all? Wow. Well, no, I just know. Uh, so I know about him uh, from my, my old partner, Tom Luganville, who does the scouting for high school kids coming out. Yep. And uh, he was saying the same thing about Joe Milton. I, I draw the line at freshman in high school. I don't go any further into guys' backgrounds than that. I don't want to be looking at high school film, Adam. I'm just going to look at <laughs> college film when when they get there so i'm excited i have not been to practice yet uh i have not seen joe milton in person but yep. uh since you, you, i mean you you probably are more qualified to analyze quarterbacks than anybody no. so tell me why do you think that shea patterson yeah coming from an old miss system right which is spread spread them out uh is is the one that's going to suit what jim harbaugh wants to do on offense which is very different well, I think, first of all, I think Jim is smart enough to tailor what he wants to do to the strengths of his players, number one. And number two, I don't know what I'm talking about. I try to – I don't study these guys, but I like to listen to people who do know what they're talking about. And when I was back there at school in May and spoke to some people there, they weren't speaking highly of Shea Patterson. They were raving about him, like, this guy is athletic, he's accurate, he runs around. He's back there a couple of weeks ago. The, the comparison that I heard – and they're not saying that he is this guy, but he plays in this type of way. They said it's Baker Mayfieldish. So, again, we'll see how that goes. Now, again, th- these same people told me that watch Joe Milton. You're going to be talking about him on day one of the NFL draft down the line. And I went to Coach Harbaugh and I said, boy, Joe Milton. Wow, I can't believe what I heard about him. And Jim looked at me like, Let's see him in a single practice before you're anointing him as a first-round pick or a number one overall pick in the NFL. But again, I'll just say this to you, that what they said about Shea Patterson was I had heard good things about him, and they said, no, no, he's not good. He's really good, really good. Well, I can tell you this. I can tell you this. Whoever plays quarterback is going to be benefiting from what I think might be the best defense in college football this season. Wow, that good, right? uh, Oh my gosh! I mean, they they have it all. They have. I was talking with Greg Madison, the defensive yep. line coach, about a month ago. He said he has the best horses up front he's ever had. Yeah. And the speed at linebacker, the secondary is all back. I mean, that that defense will be legit. And they and you know what, Adam, as a as a former Wolverine, as an alumnus, I I I am ready for the next phase of Michigan football. One in five against your rivals is not gonna cut it. Yeah. Period. And so they better be uh, competing with Michigan State and Ohio State this season.
I believe that this football team, this Michigan team, will be better than people think because if the quarterback is what they think and they say that the defense has more speed than any Michigan team has ever had on defense, and you're telling me the defense is that good, if the defense is that good and fast and the quarterback is what they say, how could it not be a good team? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you, you don't go in a shell offensively because uh, they have gotten conservative offensively. Maybe Jim McElwain gets a little bit more of the wrinkles uh, into that offense, you know, the new uh, wide receiver coach, uh, offensive coordinator. Um, but don't go in a shell. Uh, use Because you have some playmakers now on the outside, Tariq Black and Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, so Tanner Gentry uh, uh, certainly is, is going to be a playmaker as well as Zach Gentry. Excuse me. Uh, and then the offensive line, I think, needs to continue to grow. Um, they brought over Ed Warner from Ohio State. Uh, to be that offensive line coach. So that's an interesting development. How, how many times have we heard a Ohio State coach go from there to Michigan? Yeah. That doesn't happen very often outside of Bo Schoenbeckler. But, you know, I think, I think, uh, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting year, certainly for Michigan football. Do you have any I, and Mich- by the way, Adam, yes. Yes. I won't mention, just between you and I, I won't mention to uh, your good friend Eddie McCaffrey that you just completely glossed over Dylan McCaffrey, his son at the quarterback. Well, let me say this. Every time I'm back, I always ask about him because I keep waiting for Dylan (laughs) to make a breakthrough there because I expect great things from all McCaffreys, truly. Yeah. And I think, I hope he gets his chance, but I'm just saying the first thing I thought of when I heard about Shea Patterson and Joe Milton was, ooh, that's tough on Dylan McCaffrey because if you're a good quarterback and you go there and there are other good quarterbacks, that becomes challenging. I don't know how you deal with that. Like, that's a hard thing. So I thought of that. I know actually. how you deal with it. I know how you deal with it. You deal with it just like Tom Brady dealt with, right? There were all kinds of great quarterbacks yep. at Michigan when Tom Brady came in. And just keep plodding along, biding your time, doing the things the right way, and give yourself an opportunity. That's, That's what it. you do. I, I, I can't stand this transfer mentality of every single quarterback and doesn't earn the starting job. You know, it's, it's become an epidemic. You can't do it. You've you got to stick it out, fight through it, get better, work on yourself. And be ready for that chance when it does come, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Eddie, see, Eddie McCaffrey, now there's a good man. There's a good man when you were going through the Broncos locker room 20 years ago, <laughs> treating you with respect and dignity and, and made you feel welcome. And that, I always loved dealing with Ed McCaffrey, Brian. He was tremendous. I know when you walk into that, that locker room, you're just looking for some kind of safe island to put yourself on, right? Well, in front of Eddie McCaffrey's locker or Tom Ruin's locker <laughs> or somewhere. Hey, let me say this. In all honesty, the men that I had the chance to cover back in the day, and you're bringing up names of the past, that was a great group of people. You know, you oh. and Mark Schlereth and, I mean, so is Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp. Terrell Dave. All, all the people. I mean, I that was... That was my second form of college, going there, like learning from Mike and Coobs and everybody there. Just, there were so many good people in that lot. And that's part of the reason that you guys won. I know you won one of them, but they won two back-to-back yeah. Super Bowls, right? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you, you definitely had your characters, you know, the Bill Romanowski's of the world and uh, Dale Carter's, remember him? But, oh, God, uh, yeah. but you know, we, we, uh, we certainly had a, a great group and nucleus of guys that uh, – for me, I was really spoiled coming in as a rookie. You bring up Bill Romanowski, so I'm doing a book with him. And I go to knock on his house, front door, lone tree. This would have been nine, This would have been roughly 2000 or so. And no one's answering the door. We had planned to meet at a certain time. So I open the door. I'm like, Romo, Romo, are you here? 
And he goes, I'm upstairs. Hey, Adam. First thing he says to me, you walk in the house usually, like someone says, you want a glass of water? Can I get you a drink? He says, you want me to get a vitamin C IV ready for you? And I said, no, Romo, thanks. Thanks very much. As a matter of practicality, I really don't enjoy sticking needles in my arms for the fun of it. No, thanks. I'll pass on that vitamin C IV. That was Romo. Right? Yeah, that sounds about right. It was a, it was a bunch of characters. But listen, I, I want to thank you for this time. This was even more enjoyable than I thought it would be. And I commend you and I salute you and all the great work that you've done for the city of Denver, for all the bereaved children, for your family, the family that you've established, for the work that you've done for Michigan. I, I am very happy and I'm proud to call you a friend now. And I, and I mean that. Well, I, I appreciate everything that, that you do, Adam. You're, you're the best. And uh, I apologize for all the <laughs> hard times that I, that I gave you, you know, back in the, in my Broncos career, but you know, you kept pounding the rock. You that, kept pounding the that's rock. All you can do. Finally, you you you've broken me now. Okay? <laughs> Congratulations. A, well, I, thank you, Brian. I appreciate your time, and I appreciate you. All right, buddy. The Keith Jackson call you heard earlier came to us courtesy of ABC Sports. We'll be back in a moment with Jason Robbins, but first, we all know that football season's almost here, and that means huge cash prizes are up for grabs at DraftKings the leader in one-week fantasy sports. Just choose your players, stay under the salary cap, and win. To celebrate week one, DraftKings is hosting a free team pick'em promo. Get the app or go to DraftKings.com now and use code Schefter. All you've got to do is pick at least half of the winning teams correctly to win a share of a million bucks. That's code Schefter at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Pick'em for details. Jason. Hey, how are you? How are you doing? Great. How are you? You must be excited. Well, it's an exciting time of the year for everybody, isn't it? It is. It is. It's the best. This is Christmas. Jason, let's start here. How does the presence of legalized sports gambling change your business model? I think the biggest thing is before we had, uh, you know, restrictions, we had handcuffs in terms of what kind of products that we could create. And I'm not even just talking about like traditional betting products, but even things like March Madness brackets, there's office pools or Super Bowl squares. They all weren't allowed. And now now in states that legalize sports betting, there, there's a lot more open field to innovate. So. Um, you know, I think Bailey Fantasy was, was an example of something that we were able to create within the existing constraints. Um, and it's a great product, but, you know, it's only one product. And, and now we can do so many different things, and, and it's just going to open up a whole new set of things that we can create for our customers. Like what? Well, obviously, you have the traditional sports betting products, like, you know, betting against and over-unders and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think in-game is going to be really big, and there's a lot of cool props that we can create, especially as more and more real-time data becomes available and there's less and less latency. You know, I could see that getting synced up with smart TVs and just being able to create some really cool experiences there. There's the social or pool-based games, things like Survivor Pools, March Madness Brackets, Super Bowl Squares, oh, wow. um, you know, all that sort of stuff that's played in every office in America these days, but because it's not legal, technically, no company can can actually create a platform for it, which we intend to do. Uh, and then, who knows? I mean, you know, it's wide open. It's it's uh, it's exciting time for our product team. How long till we see something like just regular betting lines and over unders on DraftKings? 
Well, we have it in New Jersey. We launched our New Jersey app about three weeks ago, and you can go. We have uh, over 60 sports we're going to offer and uh, tons of in-game options. Uh, you can bet on baseball, preseason, anything you want right now. Um, obviously, just in Jersey, so we'll need to, to see some more states move before we're going to be able to offer it more broadly. But right now, you can go get that in Jersey. What are the projections? I don't know if you can share this, but what are the projections on how much this could increase your business? Oh, I mean, it really depends how many states, uh, but assuming, you know, a decent chunk of states uh, in the next several years move forward on sports betting, which I think is what everybody's expecting. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is going to 5, 10x our business, maybe wow. more. Um, you know, this is a huge game changer for us. And obviously, you know, very excited still about the fancy business. That's still growing. We're actually, interestingly, since we launched the Sportsbook product, yeah. our fantasy business has gone up. So, I mean, that's still, you know, I think going to be an important part of what we do. But this is going to open up a market that could be, you know, in the tens of billions of dollars just in the U.S. alone. Where where do you feel the NFL ranks in terms of embracing fantasy sports compared to the other sports, Jason? Uh, fantasy or sports betting? Well, fantasy sports. Well, NFL loves fantasy sports. I mean, NFL has been one of the big reasons why fantasy sports has grown as much as it has in the U.S., just the NFL really getting behind it and pushing it and integrating it into their content. Um, I, I give them a lot of credit for the last 10 years, 15 years of growth that fantasy sports has seen. Um, you know, I think relative to the other sports leagues, they obviously have a bigger audience, so they've been able to do more. Um, and I think they really got, you know, behind it in, in a bigger way initially. But now I think all the sports leagues are pretty into it. Um, there, there's really nobody you talk to outside of maybe the NCAA, um, but certainly all the professional sports leagues love fantasy. I love fantasy, Jason. I love it. Okay. Me too. Okay. So we're both in the same boat there. But here's my question to you Do you think fantasy sports. The love of fantasy sports has overtaken people's love of certain teams. Because when I get asked all the time, who's your favorite team? And I sincerely mean this when I say it. I always say my favorite team is my fantasy team. That's my favorite team. (laughs) You know, I mean, people, I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive. If You know, for different people, maybe in certain situations even, it'll be different. Like maybe if it's a regular season game, you don't care as much as if it's a playoff game, how your your home team or your favorite team does. Um, but I don't think of them as mutually exclusive. I still love all the teams that I love, you know, from like a hometown and mm-hmm. fan perspective. Um, you know, you find yourself rooting for some interesting outcomes. Like I hope, you know, my team's Patriots. I hope the Patriots win, but I hope that, you know, they're up in. Aaron Rodgers throws three touchdown passes in the game, and uh, you know, so you still you find yourself you know rooting for some kind of weird combination outcomes. So that's part of what makes it fun and engaging, and you know, part of the reason pe- so many people uh, follow your content is they want every detail of how things are going to play out. And I don't think that has to take away from it, it can be additive to the team itself that you're following. But I believe, and tell me if you agree, that fantasy sports has completely fueled the explosion of popularity of the NFL, and I would even say other sports. I don't disagree with that. I mean, if you look at, you know, tens of millions of people playing in the U.S., and every single one of them goes from, let's suppose even all of them were fans before, which is the supposition, but let's say they all were fans before, goes from maybe watching one or two games a week for their home team or 
you know, their chief rival to par- caring about every single game to consuming content. I mean, that has to have contributed to the growth. It, it's essentially 10 Xing, you know, the number of games that the average fan is interested in. Right. And mm-hmm. that can't, you know, not grow the sport. So I, I mean, I think that's pretty accepted by the NFL. They know, I mean, the reason they've gotten behind, fantasy so much as they understand how important it's been to the growth of the game. Hey, let me give you an example, right? I never paid any attention to the NBA in my adult years. I loved it as a kid, loved it as a kid. And then I would say four years ago, three, four years ago, I started playing some DraftKings basketball after the football season. The $3 games, right? The $3 games. And I read your article on that. I would play them every night. My wife walked into the room the first night. She's like, Watching basketball, doesn't think anything of it. Second night, walks in, sees me watching bet, doesn't think anything of it. Third night, she walks in, she looks at me like I started smoking cigarettes or something. When do you like basketball? <laughs> I'm like, and DraftKings taught me the entire NBA to the point where I could tell you every player on every team because I'm looking at them every single day in a fun little tournament. And that's how I got reintroduced to the NBA three to four years ago, which led to basically me wanting to do some sideline games for ESPN mm-hmm. and, and and you know maybe one day I'll get the chance and the opportunity to work with a guy like Woj. I read that story I think it was a year or two ago on you and I love that. I mean that is the exact study that I think proves the power uh, of what the product can do. It, it can take somebody who you know if you had zero interest whatsoever in the NBA probably wouldn't have done it. But maybe you have casual interest you watch the playoffs and you start dabbling around with fantasy and all of a sudden you're into it every day. You're following the whole league. And I mean, there's never been a tool like that, an engagement tool like that in the history of sports. It's quite remarkable. And it's the same with golf now too, by the way, like every weekend now, I'll fill out a $3 golf lineup for the fun of it. (laughs) And it has me watching golf on Sundays, which I ordinarily would never do. It's your, you know, golf for whatever reason, the daily fantasy product just works. It's been I, whenever anybody asks me, what's the sport that you're most surprised at how well it's done in fantasy, I say golf. I mean, golf is huge for us. It doesn't hurt Tiger being back and, you know, getting interest generated that way too. But it, the game just works. It just for, it's a, it's a four day thing. So you get to, you know, you get lots of bang for your buck. And I like it. I mean, I, I think it's the closest thing to the NFL because you play it once a week. So if you're not somebody who can follow every day, it's a little bit easier. It's, it's been a great, it's been a home run for us. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what advice you would have for young people to move ahead in their careers because you're somebody who was an obsessive fantasy sports player back in the day, playing in 200 leagues per year, which is astounding to me. You go to work. <laughs> as a marketing executive and analyst at a digital marketing startup called Vistaprint. You leave there to go join DraftKings and now turn this company into the huge success story that it is. What advice would you tell young people who are venturing out into the business world about achieving their dreams and achieving a certain level of success? Um, I think the biggest piece of advice is find out what you're great at and ideally something that you love too. Because uh, you'll just put in more time. So find out what you're great at. Not everybody is great at everything. And it's okay to say, you know, the thing I always hated about corporate America when I worked in corporate is when they give you your performance reviews, so much of the focus is on what you're not doing well. Hmm. When really the key thing is to figure out what you're great at and try to double down on a role or, or a job uh, path, a career path that, that really maximizes those strengths. Um, to give you an analogy on the sports side, it was probably pretty important early on for Michael Jordan to 
figure out that he should pursue basketball and not baseball. Um, we all saw what he did when he played baseball. He couldn't make it out of the minor leagues, and he's the greatest basketball player in the history of the game. So pretty important thing for him to figure out in his early days, in his early career, so to speak, that basketball is where he should be focusing and really pursuing, um, you know, full steam. And so same thing here. If you're somebody that doesn't do well in a big corporate setting and you feel like you'd be better in a startup, if you're somebody that, you know, is analytically oriented or, or creatively oriented, figure those things out and then pursue a job path, career path that actually those things are the most important and maybe some of the things that you're not as good at aren't as important. Um, so anyway, that's, that's what I would say. Just And, and ideally you love it too because you're just going to work harder and you're going to put an extra time. People tend to enjoy things more that they're good at, so those things kind of go hand in hand. How often do people ask you for advice about starting their own business? Decent amount. You know, it's, uh, it's a lot easier than when people ask me for fantasy advice. I'm actually not very good at fantasy. <laughs> I, I feel more comfortable giving advice on the business. But the, the biggest thing for somebody specifically saying, you know, hey, should I, or shouldn't I start my own business, I always say to them is, are you comfortable with chaos? Are you comfortable taking risks? Because, you know, you don't, if you don't have that in your blood and you're not okay with it, you're going to drive yourself insane. You have to be okay with it. Day to day, you have to be comfortable. And um, some people even love it. They thrive in those settings. And those people make the best entrepreneurs. Um, but it's okay if you're not. I think the most important thing, somewhere I said before, it's just know who you are, know what you can and, and will be great at. And there's lots of different career paths in this world. So, you know, figure out what you can shine at. Jason, I want to thank you for taking time today to join us. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to get to finally speak to you, and hopefully our paths will get to cross one day again soon. Thank you. It's an honor speaking with you, too. I'm a big fan. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jason. And so special thanks to our friend Brian Greasy. He was tremendous. And to Jason Robbins, also great. Special thanks this week to Evan Kaplan, the NFL researcher who helped us come up with lots of background and questions on both of these guests. Really appreciate Evan's work for this program this week. And please join us again next week as we get ready for the kickoff of the NFL season. We are scheduled to be joined by the 49ers cornerback Richard Sherman and the new Monday Night Football sideline reporter Booger McFarlane. Thanks for listening this week, everybody.